There is a rapidly growing community of believers in Israel. I don't know if you realize that or not. Uh, people that believe in Yeshua as their Savior. And so um, this last week, uh, there was a live-streamed conference. It's called Jerusalem Encounter. And they had people there from really all over the world and um, a number of local people. And it was put on by Firm, which is uh, Friends of Israeli Relations Ministries. Um, and you can look, at, you can find that online on YouTube and watch it yourself. It's just like a two-day conference dealing with local ministries, Christian ministries there, and what they do to reach out uh, to their unique communities. Um, the other thing that has happened here recently is Israel has experienced a lot of rain and a lot of snowfall, and the Sea of Galilee has risen dramatically which is great news, really, really great news. Um, and so that's, that's a real blessing. But on the flip side of this coin, uh, I guess you've heard that Iran shot down one of our drones. And uh, our country has decided that they would not uh, retaliate and you know, kill people or whatever when the only thing that was shot down was a drone. Um, and that's all politics and, you know, God's in control of all that, right? But one thing that we do know is, and we looked at this when we went through the book of Revelation here, um, we touched on some passages out of Ezekiel 38 and following, that there's going to be this war uh, dealing with, um, I believe it's going to involve Turkey and Iran, and Israel gets kind of caught in the middle with this. Well, there are certain people out there saying that um, our inaction uh, with Iran does nothing but embolden them, which has been happening since the 70s. I mean, it's really been happening since the 70s. Um, but Israel is not against at taking action, which they've done in the past. So it's the idea that the po there's the possibility that in God's wisdom, everything is mapping out according to His plan, and even some of our inaction um, might cause Israel to strike first, which would also pull them into this war, and even Turkey's looking for an excuse uh, to get involved in all of this as well. Um, and it might be what's referred to as this Ezekiel 38 war. So we want to be in prayer because um, do you understand how World War II started with Japan? Sanctions and oil embargoes. And a tit for tat and discussion, and then you had Pearl Harbor, and we get sucked into World War II, and then, you know, the rest is history. So there's all this stuff that's going on now that is so reminiscent of, uh, the 1930s on a global scale, even with anti-Semitism and everything else. So I'll bring all that up to say we need to be in prayer for our country. We need to be in prayer for the people of Israel. Uh, we need to be in prayer for ourselves uh, that we will be prepared no matter what comes, whether it's tomorrow or 10 years from now or 20 years or 30 years. Amen? Uh, also want to be Excuse me. I want to be in prayer for the people in our fellowship that just couldn't be here. We've got some that are out of town. Uh, Michelle is up in Connecticut. I almost said New Jersey, Connecticut. Uh, and then Brandon is only with us for two, two more weeks. Two more weeks, and then he's going to be uh, on the road uh, trucking and driving and all that. Uh, so we want to be in prayer for them. Um, and Angela and Adam have a new um, foster child, kind of, if I got that right, at their house. Uh, is it through the rest of the summer? For the most, most of this summer. And so that's going to come with its own set of challenges. So uh, there's just a number of things like that that we need to be in prayer about. So I want us to, to pray about that. Uh, and also I'm um, going to pray for, uh, for our... Uh, communion. Because, you know, um, 
when the, the Lord was betrayed and that we're in that night in our studies in the book of John, uh, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. And then he blessed it. And the blessing was, blessed are you, O Lord, our God, creator of the universe that brought forth bread from the earth. Then he also took a cup and he said, this is my blood in the new covenant which is poured out for you, poured out for many. And uh, then he blessed it. And then the blessing was similar to that, which says, blessed are you, O Lord, our God, creator of the universe that brought forth the fruit of the vine. Um, it's interesting we bring that up because of what we're going to talk about in tonight, even in our, in our studies, that the, the blessing that Yeshua would have prayed and that the people of Israel would have prayed would have typically been Heavenly Father, thank you for what we're about to eat. Uh, and we give you praise because you're the one that caused it to grow, not us, and not by our own ingenuity. And so uh, that's what he would have been praying, and that's what we're going to partake of here in just a moment. Uh, and then I'm also going to pray for our offering. So if we could do like a couple of things when I get through praying, maybe you two gentlemen there in the back could help us pass out the the bread and, and, uh, and the juice. And then uh, uh, maybe, Matt, you could help us also just kind of pass the basket around. And if you have an offering, you can put that in there. So let's pray together uh, for these, these uh, important topics. Heavenly Father, we lift up now um, the people in the promised land, uh, the land that you said you would give them for Israel and, uh, and for that land itself. Heavenly Father, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray, uh, Lord, that you would um, protect those whom you have called and loved and called to be uh, your witnesses to the world. And Lord, the tension in that area is so great and there's a peace plan being unfolded um, and we don't know how this all plays into everything that's happening, but Lord, we know that you do. And so... Lord, we pray for your people. We also pray for ourselves, and we pray for the people that love Yeshua. And Lord, we pray that uh, many people would come into your kingdom, not only here, but in Israel and around the world. We pray, Lord, that you would help all of us to be a positive light and a positive witness for you, no matter where we are, uh, no matter if it's uh, in Roy City, Texas, or it's in Jerusalem, Israel. Uh, we pray that you would help us to be a positive witness for you. And Lord, we do thank you mostly for Yeshua, our Savior, and his body being broken for us and blood being shed for us. Uh, we thank you so much for the, providing that uh, sustenance that would be our life and forgiveness and eternity with you. Uh, and Lord, we also pray for the offering that would be given whether any comes in tonight through the basket or online or by check or however that arrives. Lord, we pray that you would bless those that give. Uh, you would bless those that uh, are so faithful uh, and that you would um, help that to multiply so that we could continue working in your kingdom. Lord, we also want to take a moment and lift up those in our fellowship that are moving, that have moved, for Michelle and Brandon that'll be on the road, and uh, Lord, those that are out of town, uh, for Adam and Angela and uh, this uh, new young boy that's in their house for a while. Lord, all the different um, uh, challenges ahead, and we pray, Lord, that you would bring protection. We pray, Lord, that you would bless the work of our hands and uh, Lord, we pray that you would bless Adam and Angela and that they would be able to impart life uh, and love into this young man's uh, life. We pray, Lord, that you would protect um, Brandon while he's out on the road. And uh, Lord, you'd protect Michelle while she's working in this new hospital. And Lord, that you would just bless them. Lord, you'd pray that you'd bless those that are traveling and you would keep them safe. And Lord, others that are uh, finding themselves uh, working and just trying to take care of business. We pray that you would just be with them and watch over them and bless them. We pray all this in Yeshua's name. Amen. You young gentlemen can help us uh, with passing out that bread and the juice, and you can partake of that as, as you get that since we've already prayed for it. Um,
And we do thank the Lord uh, for providing that, right? And then little Master Colson's going to help us with the baskets. Thank you for doing that. And then right after our service uh, tonight, uh, we're going to have our hot dog fellowship. And so I hope you're hungry because I cooked a bunch of them. <laughs> I'll take one of those off of you. I got the special one for you. Do you? You got the spike one for me? <laughs> yes, sir. Mm. You know, Yeshua said that he would not drink of the fruit of the vine again until he drank it anew with us in his kingdom. He's still waiting. That marriage supper of the Lamb will all be with him. Uh, and he'll partake of it one more time after waiting now 2,000 years. That's a long time to wait for something. We praise the Lord for his forgiveness. Amen? All right. Hopefully, you found the notes. There on your table. Let me borrow this set. We are only going to cover 17 verses tonight in John chapter 14. So um, let's start off with these first two verses and hopefully uh, help us put all this in context so we can see what's really going on. It's amazing when you, you go through a book like this, uh, verse by verse by verse, and you run into passages um, that we have memorized or we've heard a million times or you've seen them on bumper stickers or plaques in your house or they're on paintings uh, bookstores, you know, have them on everything. And there's two passages, two verses, two sentences in here uh, that are so familiar. This first one is in John 14. It's in, it's verse one. We'll read verses one and two. There's actually a lot in here that are, are very familiar. So this first verse says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe in Elohim, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or staying places. And if not, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. How many of you here have heard this? You know, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. That's when it's real familiar, right? Also, in my Father's house are many Dwelling places. Uh, the King James, I believe, says many mansions. It's a, a, a place to live. Uh, and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. But what's interesting is this when we put chapter headings, chapter verses, numbers, and verses and stuff, we have a tendency to disconnect. Okay, now we're in chapter 14. We've already done chapter 13. Before that was chapter 12, but now we're in chapter 14. That's a totally different thing, right? You have to remember, this is the same night from the, the Last Supper. And here he's saying, let not your hearts be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. Why would he say, let not your hearts be troubled? Why would he say that? Well, um, we need to remember that um, he just got through telling them there's a traitor among you. He's been telling them I'm going to die. He just got through telling Peter, you're going to deny me three times. They're all asking, who is it that's going to betray you? All this stuff's going on. He sends Judas out. They don't know Judas is the betrayer. They're all wondering who it is. And it's in that context that he goes, hey, everybody, let not your hearts be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. Um, 
There's this issue here also of let not your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. Folks, this isn't just um, a passing comment. This is more like a command. And what we need to understand is that we as believers need to take responsibility for the condition of our hearts. You and I have to take responsibility for the condition of your heart. It is not the government's responsibility. It's not anybody else. It's your responsibility. It is my responsibility. That's why he says, let not your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart get troubled. Um, this is not something that, quote unquote, just happens. How many times have I spent in counseling with people because they're worried about this or worried about, and I do it. I can't be the only one here that ever worries about something. Anybody else here ever worry about something? Not in the last five minutes. <laughs> uh, but this is not, and sometimes we go, you know, I just want to, you know, I want to be able to do this so I can kind of forget about my troubles. Some people use alcohol and drugs for that. Mine is camping and fly fishing. <laughs> I, I love both. Um, but getting to a position where we're not troubled about something isn't something that just happens. It's something that we make happen. Um, it's a condition that is built and maintained by the one who acknowledges its existence you have to acknowledge the existence of your heart and the condition of your heart and then do something to maintain what you want. If you want a peaceful heart, I tell her, you need to build around you the, the atmosphere that you desire. If you don't like a chaotic atmosphere, then stop listening to chaotic music and watching chaotic shows. Stop being around chaotic people. You build the atmosphere. You build it in your house. You build it in your car. You build it with what you're listening to, what you're watching, what kind of music you're listening to. That is feeding your soul. Haven't you ever noticed how when you listen to certain music, you start to feel a certain way? You know, for me and Sonia, I'll just name just the two of us, if we ever listen to, you know, mid-century music, right, takes us back, you know, to when we were in high school, you know, and you start getting all nostalgic, you know, whatever, you know, listening to some of that stuff. Uh, or if you listen to really upbeat music, you start feeling upbeat. You start listening to melancholy music. You start feeling kind of melancholy, right? So I'm going to tell you, and a lot of people think, you know, I, and I do, I think I lead a fairly boring life, but I've got probably 17 hours worth of messianic praise and worship music on my phone. 17 hours of music that I've invested in over the years of praise and worship, uh, messianic praise and worship music. I have it all on one playlist. I no longer listen to the radio or anything. I've got a $65 radio in my Jeep, and the reason I bought that one is because it has Bluetooth. And when I get into my car, my Jeep, I plug it in so it stays charged, and what do I, every single time I pull up my praise and worship music. I used to have, you know, satellite radio and I'd listen to nothing but Fox News or whatever and it would just make me nuts. And I'd find myself getting nothing but wound up. I don't like to get wound up. That's another reason why I don't get into debates on Facebook because I'm just going to get wound up and nobody's going to nobody on there is actually looking for the truth. Everybody just wants to argue their viewpoint behind the uh, protection of the keyboard without just standing there looking at you and having a conversation looking for truth. Most people aren't looking for truth. They just want to beat you up on, on Facebook. So I don't even get involved with them because if somebody wants to know the truth, hey, can we talk? I'm like, yeah, let's, let, let's talk. But I'm not into all that stuff because I just get riled up and I get upset and everything, and then, then I have to go back and clean my heart. 
So I have to go through a mental, emotional, and spiritual bath to clean all that junk out. And it takes a while. So I'm just telling you certain things that I do to help me try to maintain my own heart as maybe uh, a word of encouragement. If you struggle with that and don't know why, well, build the atmosphere that you want. Build it. It's, it's, it's nobody's fault but yours. And this is something that you can handle. You ever seen or heard of missionaries and Christians and stuff that were in jail and in solitary confinement and beaten and abused beyond belief? And yet they said during that time, they had the sweetest relationship with their God and King that they've ever had, even after being released. And in a twisted way, almost long for that relationship, that heightened relationship again. How were they able to do that? Because without anything else around, instead of focusing on the pain and the sufferings and the beatings and everything, they focused on worship. And in the worst of circumstances, they built an atmosphere in their own mind, their own heart of the peace and tranquility and love of God that they desired. Therefore, for us, sitting in a comfortable room, lights, chairs, table, coloring books, notes, (laughs) internet. There's no excuse for us not building an atmosphere that would build our hearts up and where we would not be troubled. Amen? So he's telling them this, um, that this is something they they need to be doing. Now watch this. This also means that someone is influencing your heart at all all the time. Someone's influencing it, whether it's for good or bad. And it's your choice on which way that goes. You can turn off the TV. You can watch something else. You can decide, like, I don't understand all the the scary movies that are out that are dark. And you know what I'm talking about. They're, They're just dark and evil and gore. And I'm like... And, people, and they keep making them, so people must be watching them. I don't like the way they make me feel, so I won't watch them. They don't scare me. I'm just like, it gets my emotions going, and it gets them going in a way I don't like. Um, so listen to what the Scripture tells us about our heart. These are some notes. You need to write these down so you don't have them. Proverbs 3, 1. My son, do not forget my Torah, and let your heart watch over my commands. Proverbs 3, verse 3. Let not kindness and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in Yahovah with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. We're to trust in Him with all our heart. We're to write His scriptures on our, memorize them, put them on our hearts. Proverbs 4.23, watch over your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the sources of life. That is our responsibility. It's not someone else's. It's not God's. It's, it's no one's responsibility but yours. Watch over your own heart. Guard it diligently because out of your heart is the source of your life. Be it good or bad. Is that making sense? Because how you think about yourself, how you think about God, how you relate to God is going to impact the way you view life and it will impact the choices you make. That's why he says, guard your heart with all diligence. So then he says, uh, believe in God, believe also in me. Here's what's fascinating about that statement. This isn't just a statement. 
uh, it literally is a command because that word believe is in the imperative mode. It's a command. The word believe is in the imperative mode, which would make this more of a command than that of a statement. Yeshua is not simply giving them or us an idea, but rather commanding us to put our trust in Him and the Father as a way to keep our hearts from being troubled. It follows this statement because of everything else they've been through, what they're about to go through. Yeshua says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. You need to also believe in me. It's, 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 it's all going to be okay. Um, so then let's continue on because he says, in my father's house are many staying places. If not, I would have told you, and I'm going there to prepare, prepare a place for you. Picking up in verse three. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I shall come again and receive you to myself that where I am, you might be too or also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. So he says, where I'm going, you know where I'm going, and you know the way to get there. Now, this is verse 5, Thomas, where we get the word Thomas. He said to him, Master, we don't know where you're going, and how are we able to know the way? Isn't that amazing? He said, we don't, we don't know where you're going. Why would Thomas say, we don't know where you're going? Who else just got through saying, where are you going that I can't go? Peter just got through saying, you said you were telling us you were going somewhere. It's the same thing you said to the Jews. Now you're saying you're saying it to us. We don't know where you're going, but we're going to come later, blah, blah, blah. And now you're saying we actually know where you're going. We know the way. And so now it's Thomas is also piping in the same thing, kind of, kind of like what Peter was saying. This is a group thing where they're really confused. And he says, you know, we don't know where you're going. Um, we have a tendency to think, you know, because of Thomas. What's the other name we know him by? Isn't that sad? We know him as Doubting Thomas. Because later he's like, I'm not going to believe if I don't see. But So here now we kind of think, you know, okay, here it is Thomas again. He's kind of like Eeyore. And so Thomas is like, you know, oh, where are you? So we think of him as just whining. He's not whining. He's just echoing what Peter said in chapter 13. Uh, and here's something else. We need to remember, you might want to jot this down. We need to remember that they had all the information. Jesus, Yeshua has been telling them everything. They had all the information, but without the help of the Holy Spirit, they simply could not put all the pieces together. With everything that was going on, all the chaos, all the struggle, the hatred, they know that the, the Jewish leaders are trying to capture him. They want to arrest him. They want to kill him. They've tried to stone him already. They've, they've, all, all kinds of stuff has, has happened. Uh, and there's all this going on, and Jesus has been telling them everything, and they got all these pieces of information, but they can't make it fit. Folks, that's just, that was normal. They hadn't, they hadn't received the gift of the Holy Spirit to help them put all this together after the fact. So Yeshua says to him, and this is the other one that's in, that we could all quote it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me or except through me. I love that verse. I've quoted it millions of times, at least thousands. I know that's an exaggeration, but since I've been a believer, since my teenage years, I have clung to this statement where Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There's not many paths to the Father. There's one path, and it's through His Son, Yeshua. So why, but why did He, He uses an interesting phrase, right? He goes, I'm the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me. Why would He say it that way? Interesting. A few, and so um, you might want to just, I mean, you're going to want to jot some of these verses down. But let me read these first little notes I put. A few things should be noted here. There's only one way to the Father, not many religions going to the same God, but one 
way. Also, the goal should not be utopia or heavenly bliss, as most people are wanting, but fellowship with Elohim, our Creator. That's what makes heaven heaven. That's what makes eternal life eternal life. It's being with Yeshua. Yeshua is the path, and He is also the destination. It's also worth noting that Yeshua uses this I am statement in the book of John seven times. This is the sixth time he's going to use this. See, the Holy Spirit inspired John to write this. Jesus might have used this I am more than this, but the part that John wrote down, Jesus, Yeshua uses this phrase I am seven times. It's a number for God. It's a number for perfection. And this is the sixth one. He'll use it one more time at the start of John chapter 15. But look at, I want you to jot down some of the, I've got a number of passages here for you to write down <clears throat> dealing with this idea of the way and the truth and the life. 2 Corinthians 5.8. 2 Corinthians 5.8. We are of good courage and are well pleased rather to be absent from body and to be present with the Master or with the Lord. He said, we would rather be absent from this body and be in God's presence. Philippians 1.23, For I am pressed down by the two, having a desire to depart and be with Messiah, which is much better. This is this idea of Yeshua being the destination. I've got a lot of verses in here dealing with this whole concept of when him, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That was in Philippians 1.23. 1 Thessalonians 4.17. Then we, the living, who are left over, shall be caught away together with them in the clouds to meet the Master in the air, and so we shall always be with the Master. You know what's amazing about that? Anybody here heard that one before? Usually used to deal with the, the rapture, all that kind of stuff, but here's what's fascinating. It says it will be changed and caught up in the air, and we're going to meet the Lord in the air. Then it says, and we will forever be with the Lord. The idea isn't that we will be forever with the Lord in the air, because where's he coming? <laughs> he's coming back here to be here for a thousand years, and then he's going to change everything. Everybody thinks about, okay, well, this is the verse, you know, we're going to have the rapture, we get this Holy Spirit kind of body. We get this glorified body. We're floating around on a cloud playing a harp, whatever it is that your concept of heaven is. And I go, well, then what's the purpose of the resurrection then and getting another body, a physical body, if he's not going to put us back on this earth? Just food for thought. Um, let's move along. As far as him being the way, Here's some more verses for you. Acts 4.12. Acts 4.12. And there is no deliverance in anyone else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we need to be saved. He's, he's the one way. 1 Timothy 2.5. That was Acts 4.12. 1 Timothy 2.5. For there is one Elohim and one mediator between Elohim and, and men, the man, Messiah, Yeshua. So he, he is the one way to get to God. He is also the way. Look, look at this. Exodus 18.20. Exodus 18.20. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. That's Exodus 18, 20. I'm going to try to tie this together in a second. Psalm 86, 11. Teach me your way, O Yahovah. That's Psalm 86, 11. Let me walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Proverbs 6, 23. For the command is a lamp and the Torah a light and reproofs of discipline, a way of life. 
Psalm 119, 160. Psalm 119, 160. The sum of your word is truth, and all your righteous right rulings are forever. John 17, 17. Set them apart in your truth. Your word is truth. Leviticus 18.5. I know I'm giving you a lot. Leviticus 18.5. And you shall guard my laws and my right rulings, which a man does and lives by them. I am Yahovah. Deuteronomy 30, verse 20. To love Yahovah, your Elohim, to obey his voice and to cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days to dwell in the land which Yahweh to swear to your fathers, Abraham, Yitzhak, Jacob, or Yaakov, to give to them. So who is and what is our life? God is. Deuteronomy 8.3. I've got two more. Deuteronomy 8.3. And he humbled you and let you suffer hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, to make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of Yahovah. And Deuteronomy 32.47. For it is not a worthless word for you, because it is your life. And by this word, you prolong your days on the soil which you pass over the Jordan to possess. So what are these are some of the things that we can see in these references, and there's more. But what we find is, in the scriptures, it describes the word of God as a light, a light to our path and our path. The word of God is also described as truth. Jesus himself said, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Um, it is, the, the word of God is also described as the way. It's the way in which we're supposed to walk. And so all of that is summed up in, in the book of John, in John chapter 1, where it talks about that what? The word, what? Became flesh and dwelt among us. He is the very embodiment of the very word of God, the Torah of God, which is our light, our life, our way, our path, our truth. It is everything to us. You can't separate the word of God and the Old Testament and the New Testament explaining it from the very embodiment of the word of God and our connection with him and him being our destination and path. Folks, you and I shouldn't have a desire to just get into heaven. Our desire is to be with him, honor him, and glorify him, because that's why he says, look, I'm the way. I'm the way to the Father. I'm the truth that'll get you to the Father. I'm the path, I'm the light, I am everything. I'm the only way you can get there. Continue on in verse seven, he says, if you had known me, you would have known my father too. From now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, master, show us the father and it's enough for us. Here's what's amazing. You have to keep this in mind. Now who asked him something? Now somebody different. Remember, first it was Peter going, where are you going that I can't go? And he's trying to tell him. And he's like, oh, if I have to lay down my life, well, Peter, you're going to deny me before the cock crows in the morning. Oh, no, no, no. Then he says, hey, you guys don't let your hearts be troubled, so on and so forth. You know, I'm going and I'm going to prepare a place, all this stuff. Thomas goes, how are we supposed to know? We don't know where you're going. We don't know what's going on. He says, sure you do. So then he's describing all this. Now, Philip is popping in. It's the same thing. Why? They're all confused. If the disciples of Yeshua have been walking with him now, the debate is, was it a year and a half or three years? That's a whole other 
study. But let's say it, it, it's, it's been over a year now. It's been a year and a half or so. Uh, they've listened. They've seen him walk on water. They've seen him raise the dead. They've seen him raise Lazarus. They've seen miracles. And they can't quite figure it out. How much more so not only the common people that are kind of on the outside looking in and they don't have all the details, and even more so the people that should have known, these religious leaders that should have known, but they were so caught up in their own religious system that they wanted to kill him because they, he was going to mess up their money. Um, nobody could really see what was going on because they didn't have the gift of the Holy Spirit yet uh, to help them pull all these points together. Verse 9, Yeshua said to him, and he says this to Philip, uh, have I been with you so long that you've not known me, Philip? Now he's directing it to Philip. He who has seen me has seen the Father. And how do you say, show us the Father? He's been telling them this over and over and over again. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak from myself, but the Father who stays in me does his works. He's literally saying, listen, the words that are coming out of my mouth, they're not of my own volition. These are the very words of my Father. Why is that all so critical? Because in the Old Testament and in Deuteronomy, it says, I'm going to send another prophet like you, and you're to listen to all that he says. I'm going to put my words in him, and you're to listen to all that he says, and the one that doesn't, I personally will require it of him. Judgment day. So he's the prophet. He's the Messiah, he's the Son of God, and he's not speaking on his own. He's speaking the very words of the Father. Verse 11, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Otherwise, believe me because of the works themselves. Now he's telling his closest disciples the same things that he's told these unbelieving religious leaders. If you don't believe what I'm saying, at least believe the works that I did because the works that I did, you can't argue that. It happened. And it wasn't through hocus pocus or anything else. We've been over that. The miracles that he did that were um, divine in other words, that no one but God could do what he was causing to happen. Verse 12, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he shall do also. And greater works than these shall he do because I go to my father. Anybody ever heard that verse talked about before and ever wondered, well, what does that mean? I mean, he fed 5,000, raised Lazarus from the dead. How am I supposed to do greater works than you? than what you did. Anybody here ever struggle with that passage? You know, uh, as a pastor and a teacher, and I've read this in many books, I've seen it in commentaries even this week, looking at this passage, where a lot of people, you know how they'll explain these greater works? Well, the greater works are that since we now have the Holy Spirit, and we're now able to preach the gospel to thousands upon thousands of people. And even now, even more so with the internet and technology, I mean, there are literally millions of people that can come into the kingdom that Jesus all on his own couldn't speak and have millions here. And I go, well, um, yeah, I, I guess that is part of it. Um. Let me read you what I wrote down. These greater works are usually described as being able to preach to thousands more easily than Yeshua because of technology. Or it's the imparting of the Holy Spirit upon the preaching and the salvation of the hearers. I would propose that it's more connected to the restoration of our authority in the kingdom and declaring the victory of the one true God over all the wannabe gods and Satan himself. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. Up until this time, everything that Yeshua's been doing, even though he's been explaining it, nobody could figure it out. Satan himself couldn't figure it out. That's why Paul said, if they had known, they would have not killed the king of glory. 
And most of the prophecies about Yeshua can only be understood after the fact that they were even prophetic. Right? We've talked about all that. After all that has happened, for those of us that are trying to truly understand what the Bible really says, instead of just blindly following religious practices, we have now, Jesus came and he restored, watch this, our authority in the kingdom. He's going to say, all authority has been given to me as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Right? He's in the process of restoring our place in the kingdom as representatives of the Most High God. Kings and priests on this earth declaring to all in the seen and unseen realm Yahovah and his Messiah are already victorious. You lost. Game over. Folks, that's the greater works. We put all the focus on raising a dead man. Lazarus still died. Again. All the people that he healed, they still died one day. All the people that he fed with the sack lunch, they got hungry about four hours later. They needed more food. Life just... Folks, these were just signs to prove who he really was. Now that he's restored everything, he's telling us, you're going to do greater works than what I've been doing. How is that? Because he's revealing to us that we are now co-heirs with Jesus Christ. That's in your New Testament. And he's restoring us as the rightful rulers on this earth. And to declare to Satan himself and all of his minions and everybody else, look, Yeshua is the King of kings, Lord of all lords, and he has placed us here to reign and rule in his place. Not just as an ambassador, but literally a reflection of the Most High God. Wow. Folks, I believe that's huge. Yet most people will look at that verse and they think it has to do with, I don't know, healing services and speaking in tongues and weirdness and jumping around and all, you know, whatever. And I'm like, okay, well, but that's like, if I hate to say it this way, but it's like cheap parlor tricks. That's no, that's not, what, what's so big about that? I mean, that's okay. Um, that is nothing compared to understanding that he's created me to be his representative on this earth, which is his throne. And Satan has been lying to all of us for 2,000 years, trying to keep us from understanding what this book really says and what Jesus really came to do. Therefore, he's kept us out of the fight and he's gotten us to fight each other instead of fighting him. These greater things, is, it's not uh, getting somebody to walk that's never walked before. I mean, all that's fine, and if that really happens and God really does it, that's cool. But you do understand that somebody that was born paraplegic, they, they've never walked, and all of a sudden God heals them, and now they're walking. Well, hallelujah, but you do realize that if he tarries, that person's still going to die. I used to have hair, and I thought it looked pretty good. Now I have none except on my face, and it's white, okay? You get old, things happen, and, and we die. Um, he's called us to do greater things. He's called you to do greater things. He's called every person in this room to do greater things than you and I can currently imagine. And the reason we can't imagine it is because we can't wrap our brain around what he really created us to be. Because we've listened to the lie way too long and we focus on way too many of the wrong things. Now watch this. Here's another one. I love this one. It's verses 13, um, 13 and 14. 
And whatever you ask in my name, that I shall do in order that the Father might be esteemed or glorified in the Son. If you ask whatever in my name, I shall do it. Hallelujah. So now, you know, we're praying this and praying this, and, we're gonna, and here's how we end it. And in Jesus' name, amen, brother. Right? Something like that. And we, most of us, I believe here, I do, you know, and I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Right? That's the way I was brought up. Do we honestly think that that's what he's talking about here? If you put a tag at the end of your prayer that you're praying this in my name or you're praying this in my stead or you're praying this on my behalf, then yeah, I'm going to do it. Here's a problem. Number one, we think of his name as Jesus instead of Yeshua or Yehoshua, which is the full Hebrew name, which is where we get the word Joshua. But Yehoshua or Yeshua, what does that mean? What does that, what does that name mean? It means salvation. Specifically, it means Yehovah saves or he saves. Yeah or Yah, short for Yehovah, and Yeshua, he saves. Okay, so he saves or Yehoshua, God saves. So, or just think of it as just salvation. Now watch this. So do we think that he's telling us, put, and in Jesus' name, amen, and then, then I'm going to, I have to do it because I said I'm going to do it, so I'm going to say, in Jesus' name, therefore, you got to give it to me. No. Uh, asking in his name is so much more than just a tag at the end of our prayers. What does his name mean? It means God saves. When we pray in the name of salvation, bought by Yeshua for the glory of the Son and the Father, then Yeshua will surely answer our prayer. Why? In order that the Father will be glorified in the Son. So what he's saying is that when you start praying for the salvation of God to be revealed and glorify the Father and the Son through this process, then that is exactly why I will answer that prayer in the affirmative. We're caught up in the petty parlor stuff like, God, can you please give me five bucks? I need five bucks. And all of a sudden, five bucks shows up. Hallelujah, right? And all that's fine, but that is like crumbs compared to what he wants us to be involved in and praying about and focused on bringing glory and honor to the Father through the Son by praying in the name of salvation. In other words, Heavenly Father, cause this to happen so that the Son and you will be glorified in the name of God saving not and, and in Jesus' name, amen. And I mean, I'm 63, and I've been saying that, I guess, since I was, I don't know, 13 or, or, or earlier. So 50 years, it rolls off the tongue like that's how you say goodbye. You know, anybody accidentally type, you know, because nobody talks anymore, like, love you, good night, or whatever, you know, when, you, when you've said that to your wife or your husband or your kids so, so many times, and then you say that to a coworker and go, oh, oh, excuse me. It's just because that's just the kind of the way you say good night or whatever. I remember when the kids were younger, and we would always say, you know, nighty-night, and I remember talking to some of the other guys, I said, well, nighty-night, and I was like, oh, well, that was weird. And it's because I had said it so many times to the kids when they were little. Um, Praying in Jesus' name just kind of rolls off that way, but we need to really fight against that because that's not what he's talking about. And then he says this in verse 15, and this is the one that caused me so many troubles here about four years ago when I just asked the question, well, which ones? Because Yeshua says, if you love me, you will guard my commands. You will keep my commandments. Notice what he says here too, because I want to read this. We should read our Bible what? In what? In context, so instead of chopping this stuff up, let's read this as one thought. If you love me, you will guard or keep my commands, and I shall ask the Father, and he shall give you another helper to stay with you forever. Can somebody say, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh? I don't know if that clicked for you yet or not. Um, I I want you to jot down a few verses 
Exodus 20, verse 6. Because he said, you are to, if you love me, you will guard my commands. If you love me, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Exodus 20, verse 6 says, but showing kindness to thousands to those who love me and guard my commands. It's just that one verse. You have to read it in context. We go back and read it. It's Exodus 20, verse 6 and following. I wrote this down. This truth of loving God and obedience is the fruit of that love is repeated in Scripture all the way to 1 John. It starts all the way back in the, in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and it's found all the way into, the, into 1 John. 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 through 3. Now, this is the same author that's writing this gospel account. 1 John 5, 2 through 3. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and guard His commands. For this is the love of God that we guard His commands and His commands aren't heavy. Isn't that amazing? He said, this is how we know. I would say that almost all Christians believe that Christ's followers should obey the commands of Christ. What's sad and missing is that Yeshua clearly said that His words were the same as the Father's and that keeping His commands were the fruit of our love for Him. Most do not make the connection between the words of Yeshua and the words of the Father. The Old Testament simply pushed aside the idea of metaphors and ideas we can glean from, but not commands to keep for today. Now, that is the common belief. I would venture to say everyone in this room, pretty much everyone in this room, even used to think that way. But watch this. What if, these are just some notes that I've jotted down. What if in the near future a highly charismatic figure comes up with an idea for world peace in a day where all religions and beliefs can simply get along and those uh, that embrace and, and the, this idea, that they embrace this idea that the same attitude, uh, that the actual words of the Bible can and should be changed to meet the current cultural conditions, which is going all around the world in almost every denomination in the world. Well, what if those ideas being promoted at that time are not so anti-Christian? In that it also says that those Old Testament beliefs are archaic, and even the New Testament should be adjusted because they were really only helping those early believers understand how to apply their new faith in light of the Old Testament prophecies and fulfillments, which that's, I mean, part of that's true. That's what the New Testament is. It's helping the believers understand how to apply it. This will lead to an idea that we are all worshiping the same God and we should be tolerant of any and all deviations from those archaic understandings. God is okay with different views of Him and we should embrace this diversity of, and of forms of worship. Adherence to ideology will determine if you're included in this new global society and able to buy and sell or not. Social engineering through social media peer pressure and monetary system. To this very day, right now, Facebook is trying to introduce plans to introduce their own monetary system and the world is ready to accept it. Tied with that, watch this, is social peer pressure and social credit points. Right now, Facebook is censoring tons of people. Not only what you and I would consider uh, like terrorist wackos, but conservatives. What's scary about it, though, is where we, have, we really have already lost free speech, not only in America, but around the world. So they're able to censor people, and the government doesn't seem to stop them. They just cut them off. Your account's now closed. Shut it down because of fake news. I kind of get the dilemma, but they just will shut down accounts. 
stuff that you and I might post or repost on Facebook, and they just take it down. That's building and building and building, and the, nobody's stopping them, saying, oh, hold on a minute. We have rights, free speech, you can't do that. Well, yeah, they are doing it. And then tied with that is they've, they're trying to do this, introduce their own money system, like the cryptocurrency that kind of went belly up. They're trying to come up with their own. I used to only think that it would really be a, a chip. I think it's more than that. It will swear allegiance to a system that will look, watch this, tolerant but it'll be intolerant of those that are outside of their realm, but they're going to call it tolerance. Yeshua says, if you love me, you'll guard my commands. And his commands are the same as the Father's, are they not? He just got through saying, if you've heard me, you've heard the words of the Father. Then can we also say then vice versa is also true, right? Because he said... I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Then if I'm speaking anything, I'm speaking the words of the Father because he put his words in me. Then that means also anything he's saying is reflective of the Father, and the Father is reflective of the Son. Then that also means that everything in your Old Testament is viable and necessary and is part of our way, truth, and life and path to God the Father through the embodiment of that very word. And Yeshua says that the one who loves me is going to guard this. And this is, and then he follows it by saying, and I'm going to send another helper. It's going to be with you forever. Our very simplistic understanding is that this Holy Spirit will come on those that just simply call out, Jesus, save me. I know this kind of gets a little weird, uh, but Yeshua is tying these two things together here and I'm not saying that if you're not keeping all of the Torah, you know, you don't have the Holy Spirit. Nobody's keeping it right. Nobody in this room is keeping it right. Nobody in this room is keeping it perfect. Nobody on the earth is keeping it perfect. But one day we will need to. This is why John in the book of 1 John says, if you don't love people, you don't love God. If you don't love God, God is not part of you. I don't care if you call yourself a Christian or not. You're, well, you're not saved. That's what John says in Paul Henry paraphrase. That's pretty much what he says. Yeshua is saying the same thing here. If you love me, you will love my word, and you will guard it and protect it, and you will want to keep it, and you will stop trying to change it. But people have been hearing for 2,000 years that it's okay to change it. So where we're headed real fast is that it's okay to change the very Word of God, have people live in extremely deviant lifestyles, and even calling that godly, and even that abortion is Christian, and godly, and doing God's work, and on and on and on. And I know we sit here and go, well, that's insane. But folks, that's the world we live in, and Christians are going, well, yeah, exactly. By the thousands, hundreds of thousands. And Yeshua says, if you love me, you'll card my commands. And he goes, and I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to give you another helper, and he's going to stay with you forever. Um, then, he, then he says what this spirit is. The spirit of the truth whom the world is unable to receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him for he stays with you and shall be in you. Now we know that that's talking about the Holy Spirit, right? But what does he call him? The spirit of what? The spirit of truth. Well, what were we already told by Yeshua himself that truth is? He said, sanctify them in truth, your what is truth? Your word is truth. The Bible is the very word of God. It is the path of God. It is our path, our life, our light. It is the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus is the embodiment of it. 
and he says that this spirit that's coming is the spirit of truth. And this is why Jesus tells them, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, then you're going to receive power. You're going to understand all these things. And that's when it all clicked. Why? Because it's connected to the word of God, not men's ideas. And not men's ideas about the word of God. It is, he's the spirit of truth. And that's why the job of the Holy Spirit is to come and convict of sin and enlighten us on what the scripture says and who Yeshua is. That's his main job, which makes sense, right? Yeshua came as the embodiment of the very word of God. He says, if you love me, you'll guard this. How can you separate the two? If you love me, you'll love my word. You'll love what I'm saying. That's why he keeps saying, have I been around you so long you don't understand what I'm saying? When I'm talking, I'm talking the very words of God. How is this not clicking? How are you not able to put this together? They weren't able to put it together because they didn't have the Holy Spirit yet. Folks, all of this is saying that what we need to be doing is we need to be loving God. We need to love Yeshua and love his word and keep his commands love what he said and guard it and protect it. You know what that really means? It means more than doing it. It means guard it. Now, here's where it gets a little tough. Folks, that means when people adulterate the word of God, your hackles should start to come up. Don't attack, but you should care more about the integrity of the word of God than how many likes you get on Facebook. Or how many people will even enter the doors here and stay? Or whatever. And where all this ties in with us is this. Our world is heading at breakneck speed toward this one world government antichrist system. It will not be what all of us in this room think it's going to be. And that's why God said that this deception is going to be so strong that if possible, even the elect will be deceived by it. It's going to look good. It's going to look logical. It's going to look decent. And it will kind of make sense. Stop war. And all those outside, they're not going to be able to buy or sell. We'll control the money. We'll control the social credit system. We'll control everything. It's amazing, isn't it? Google, Big Brother, Facebook, they know everything about you. Everything. They they determine pretty much beforehand what you will and will not buy. All kinds of... It's amazing. Why? Because they're watching every single thing we're doing. Why would they do that? What we don't understand is that when you're on Facebook and you're doing all these things, you are the commodity. You're not buying anything. You're selling you. That's why every week I get this close to saying, you know what, I just want to pull the plug, cancel the account, everything. If it wasn't for trying to reach out to people, I would have already pulled the plug on it. Um, I would have just done it. The danger is if you don't know what God's word says, we could get sucked into it, but we're not going to do that. Amen?